0: hey everybody and welcome back to the hunt the wild podcast i'm your host adam bolds and today we are uh joined with jason campbell this is uh episode eight um appreciate you coming on jason taking the time i know it's it's late and um we both had to make make adjustments to the schedule i'm sure but how are you doing
1: doing well um outside of it being a little rainy uh today it's um Look, been looking forward to sitting down with you and, and uh, kind of get into a few of the questions and a and, uh, little bit, you know, talk a little whitetail and, and uh, hopefully give some good information to help some of the viewers out.
0: Good stuff. Um, I want to have you introduce yourself and let everybody kind of know who you are, maybe a little bit of your background. Um, I'm sure people have heard of you in the past. Um, but maybe some of our listeners haven't, so um can you tell us kind of where you're from? Um, some of the big bucks you're killing. I don't know.
1: Um, okay, so I am a Michigan resident. Um pretty much grew up hunting uh heavily hunted, pressured, you know, public pieces here in Michigan. Um with the mentality of, you know, I don't want to say if it's brown, it's down, but kind of that mentality, any legal deer was a successful season. Um, And uh, once I kind of turned the corner and decided that I was going to start chasing a better quality animal, um, I, uh, I got on the Hunting Bees website um, and, uh, I was whitetail assassin on there. Um, I briefly, uh, worked and, uh, made friends, um, with Dan and Fault and uh, a few of the hunting beast guys there. I did a podcast with them on the extreme whitetail tactics with, with Mario and, and, and those guys. And, you know, back then when the beast was just a forum, you know, on the hunting Um, it was a place that a lot of killers could go and even new people and learn tactics and really be able to reach out and pick the brains of a lot of guys that had been successful, um, at doing it. And it was some amazing content that was coming out, uh, with a lot of guys that most people probably would have never even heard of. Um, and, uh, and then um, that kind of pushed me into the idea. Like, I think most hunters always love the idea of like filming or or trying to do something like on their own. You know, I grew up watching like the Dan Fitzgerald movies and Real Tree, like, you know, and Drury's and Mossy Oak, like, when those are really the only things out there uh, to watch, and always was drawn to that aspect you know, of the hunting, not just hunting them, but like filming your endeavors. And, um, after a lot of discussion on the hunting beast and helping a lot of, of newer hunters and even, you know, uh, older hunters, but newer to the mobile style hunting. Um, I decided to start my own, um, social media slash, um, uh, web page youtube channel um which is from bed to dead and basically it was it was all about just trying to help people um you know talk whitetails, uh whether they you know all levels of hunters whether they were new hunters um successful hunters but it was just a platform in which guys could share their their endeavors Um, I would share mine. I would try to get into detail about like taking photos of, of, you know, all the terminology that a lot of guys use online, what it actually meant. Um, and in that process, um, I was introduced to Cody DeQuisto, um, and him and I hit it off right away. We're still friends to this day. Um, and he introduced me to his dad, Andre, and, uh, and Lone Wolf Custom Gear. And um, after um, a lot of discussions back and forth, I actually went to work with those guys um, where I was um, helping them with the Lone Wolf Custom Gear products, getting them out, assembling, um, overseeing a lot of the uh, production Um, you know taking stuff to the anodizer etc just wanted to help out in any way I could even though it wasn't my brand you know or my name legacy Um, just really the main part of it was for me is I just I always dreamed of working in the hunting industry not necessarily so much like in the mainstream media to do something that was like you know be famous but You know, everybody dreams of working for a company that they respect um, or they believe in and, and, you know, making it their own and being able to help them, you know, achieve and and reach their goals and and somehow find a place in that. And that's really all I wanted to do was just, you know, hopefully turn it into a career. Um, And uh, and then, you know, after working with them, um, I had been filming for a few years and it killed a few deer on film, but I was still relatively new. Um, I would not call myself an expert by no means, as far as like production uh, quality editing or, or producing, you know, like Midwest whitetail quality, or, you know, really it was more like entry level stuff. And, uh, you know, Andre had asked me if I was interested in filming with whitetail addictions, which um, I ended up signing on with them and then I had an episode, uh, and their first season back with them where, where I killed, uh, ended up killing, uh, two deer on video. Um, and, um, uh, one of them ended up being a 150 inch deer on Michigan public. The other one was, uh, low one thirties caliber, uh, a deer. And, um, I learned a lot you know, as far as like where I needed to get better at and love the challenge of it. Um, but in the same sense, uh, I didn't like the direction that it was taking me away from why I got into it in the first place Like and why I created from dead to dead. Because it, it wasn't about gear, it wasn't about influencing, it wasn't about pushing a product it was really about helping people and, and trying to let people know that it doesn't matter what hunting stand you want to use or sticks you want to use or boots or bow or whatever, that what it comes down to is yes. Can those things help aid you as far as quality uh, take, you know, lightweight stands, make it easier on us. um, You know, Being able to take stuff down and get into places that you couldn't, you know, with other kinds of stands or or equipment. Um, But it's really about the knowledge and the tactics and being in the right place, regardless of what your stand is. um, That's what's killing the deer, Um, and, and your hard work that goes into it. So, like for me, that. I felt like I drifted away from that and and was kind of chasing somebody else's dream, so to speak. Like, you know, I got pretty involved with Lone Wolf Custom Gear and I, I, you know, I went to all the shows. Uh, I, you know, you know, was their their stuff was being produced out of my garage in my backyard. Um, You know, I had probably, you know, I don't know, maybe a couple million dollars of merchandise at one time in my in, in my garage, which was kind of unnerving. But we live in a good area, and 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 it was protected. But uh, but at the same time, like I realized that my true passion, which was being able to reach people and 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 talk whitetails, um, was kind of getting taken away, and 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 a lot of people. Might recognize me off uh, from Mobile Hunters United, which is is a page that Cody Dequisto, Connor Wakefield, and I actually came up with on a fishing trip in Michigan, and we approached Andre about it. Had a four-way conversation and decided we would we're going to go with it, and it was supposed to be about uniting all mobile hunters because of a lot of the rifts that were going on and a lot of the pages on social media um, are monitoring or censoring what people say. And and sometimes that's a good thing, but, but, but also when you're trying to push an agenda, um, you know, it's kind of hard to, to reach everybody in in that kind of platform. So our, our goal was to really um, make it, Whatever gear you use, it doesn't matter. Um, more of a we're in this together kind of thing. And um, there were other people in the in the company uh, who had other ideas for that and saw that as more of an advertisement platform for not. I wouldn't just say just Lone Wolf Custom Gear, but but like whitetail addictions as well. And, 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 uh, and I was the admin on the page and when all everything just kind of went down and I kind of made this realization and, and one of the guys uh, that runs whitetail addictions and I had a fallout, um, it was time for me to go back to what I truly loved and wanted to do. And, um, and uh, I, when I talked to Andre and just told him, like, I, you know, I was, I was done being a influencer, sponsored uh, person. And I just wanted to go back to the basics, which was helping, you know, which is helping other people out. So a lot of people will recognize me off the Hunting Beast. A lot of people will recognize me off of Lone Custom Gear a lot of people will recognize me from mobile hunters United, you know, most of the guys that are, you know, the constants on there, et cetera. Um, and, uh, and, and again, a lot of people followed me um, on our from bed to dead, which that was another thing too is like I was on Facebook, but with all the drama that goes on Facebook and and everything else, I just didn't see how that platform was being used effectively. And I ended up deleting my personal account and, and my, from bed to dead account. And I just went to Instagram and YouTube. Um, and I still got messenger and I still have a lot of people message me and ask me questions, um, and talk to me, but, but I wanted to get away from the drama and the, I guess this huge pull from so many people that, that pro staff and, and, and being is like, the way in the industry or the way to uh, your claim to fame when it's really not about the fame as much as it is being able to help other people. And, you know, uh, peer recognition is more important than selling your soul to sell a product to me. So um, that is a little bit of background into like, myself and how I got into it and maybe how some people would recognize me um and again I'm not you know I'm not Lee Koski I'm not Andre DeQuisto I'm not Dan Info um you know I'm just a a country boy from Michigan um who loves to hunt and uh loves talking whitetails and and uh has gotten my ass handed to me more than once by a mature buck <laughs> and uh and been fortunate enough to also tease some some success too so
0: oh one thing's for sure you're a big you're a big buck killer um your story's interesting to me and and hopefully other people because generally i think when people get involved in that they they tend to want to move up the ranks and i'm sure a lot of people get lost somewhere along the way and it it's interesting to me that you kind of went in the reverse. You kind of, you kind of grasped what kind of was going on and what your personal goals were and kind of grabbed it and said, no, this, this isn't for me. Um, I don't don't think you you see that very much.
1: You know, I, I have to admit, like I did temporarily lose. And, 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 and I didn't want to admit that I lost myself because like that, that was, I didn't feel that way. Um, I was looking at it like I was trying to help build something that I believed in. And then when like my eyes were open, so to speak, um, I realized how far away from the path I actually had strayed, you know, from where I wanted to be. And you know, and I have to admit, like, I've got a great wife and a supporter, and, you know, and, and she saw it all, too. She was right there with me, saw the hours I was putting in, saw all the hard work and the dedication, and she just said, like, you know, you're doing this for somebody else. You know what I mean? Like, and in a, in a sense, like, to her, you, you're you not being appreciated for what you're bringing to the table. And, 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 and in a sense, she was right. And I, I, like I said, there's no hard feelings. Um, it just, it's not for me. And I, I think a lot of guys think that it is until they get into it and realize in a sense, you're asked to sell your soul for some money off of product. You're asked to go do this. Um, and no one's offering a contract or, you know, to, with you to, to also protect you as well. Like, yeah, you'll sign non-disclosures, and, you know, you, you you can't share innovations, et cetera, et cetera. But like, you know, pro staff used to mean you got you didn't have to pay for your gear and the, the advertisement aspect and, and your following and and what you were doing for the company that was repaid in appreciation by getting your gear. Um, and oftentimes a lot of times like people got paid for it too. And I'm not at all like unhappy because I didn't get paid, um, you know, to run mobile hunters United or I didn't get paid to, you know, do the shows, etc. Um, you know, they, they, you know, I got paid when I worked for the company. Um, but it, People lose themselves and they'll sell themselves out for 15% off, 20% off to be able to list that they're a pro staff or an ambassador for such and such company. But the truth is you're just a piss ant to them. You're easily replaceable. There's a hundred other guys that will jump and sell their soul. And the difference with me, and again, I, you know, maybe some people might think this is arrogant or, or overconfident, but there's not another hundred me's out there and there's not another hundred guys that would work as hard as I do and has dedicated myself and my time away from my family for somebody else trying to earn a living, helping a company grow. Um, and you you know, just like anybody else who's in their line of work, whether it's an engineer, a doctor or, or you know you're a mcdonald's worker when you feel unappreciated you lose the drive to to want to give your all and then on top of it you lose yourself and 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 your own happiness and your joy and and what brings that to you and and in a sense you know i lost that and i was fortunate enough you know, with the events that happened that I was able to get that back. And I don't regret it. I don't regret it one one bit, you know, at at this point, like I'm happy, uh, a lot less stressed out. um, And I can get back to what it was I loved in the first place was, was being able to help other people. And, and just talk whitetails and then share my endeavors in hopes that even if it only helps a couple people or a handful of people, um, that that was, you know, my making a difference. But also doing it my way where I'm not being influenced or being told what I have to do. I need to post this. I need to post that. You need to, you know, we're going to push this item. or I, Like that part wasn't for me
0: so i i started hunt the wild uh, a couple years ago i started out to do the same thing i just wanted to kind of help people out let them you know see what i'm doing maybe offer tips and tricks on anything squirrel hunting somebody wants to buy their own 21st 22 go out hunting hunt deer i don't know i'm no big buck killer but that's why i started this um I know that there's a lot of people, um, that want to get involved in the hunting industry. So I want to, I want to touch on this a little bit too, to hopefully help some people out who, who are listening. If somebody wants to get involved, what do you recommend to keep them? Maybe, maybe their goal is to, to be sponsored or, or, or pro staff or something, but If they're more on the lines of you and I, what do you recommend they do? Because it seems like mostly the only route is to go, you know, with sponsorships and products and all that stuff. Where where do they start? Do they just start an
1: Instagram page? I mean, well, this is kind of a touchy A touchy subject because I feel like there's a the market is flooded with a ton of people putting out content out there and you have to be kind of leery of that because a lot of these guys you're you're they're looking for people to follow them except they don't have the knowledge they don't have the experience they don't have uh they want to be recognized as you know I'm a big butt killer but you don't have any big bucks to your name. You know, people are going to come to you and ask you, well, what's your, what's your keys to success for early season? Well, you don't have any success in any season when it, you know, on the platform that you're trying to attain. So like my biggest thing is that I would tell someone who's, if they're experienced or non-experienced is, is to, start your own page and do it the way you want to do it. You'll never have any regrets if you do it the way you wanted to do it. Whether if that's chasing a sponsorship from somebody, whether that's just doing it without sponsors and, and, but post the content and let your following be organic And if what you're putting out is good content, it'll grow. You know, don't don't be afraid to look at it like it takes a couple years to get where you want to be. You're going to get better at at being on in front of an audience. You're going to get better as a hunter, as a filmer, um, or whatever it might be. Um, But give it your all. You know what I mean? Like give it your all and, and let it be organic. Don't, don't try to be somebody you're not or mold yourself into what somebody else used to be successful. Um, be one of a kind and don't be afraid to be yourself, you know, and if that works, then so be it. If it doesn't, then so be it you know what I mean? Like that's, that's just the aspect, like from my perspective, that's, that's what a lot of people need to understand, you know?
0: I, uh, I think it's interesting. You'll see, at least I know I'll run across an Instagram page or, um, I don't know if you're on TikTok or not, but, or a Facebook page or, (laughs) um, you'll see good content and you'll see like, a guy that's killing big deer. He's doing like consistent stuff. The guy doesn't get like very many likes or anything. He doesn't have a very big following, but then you'll turn around and you'll see somebody. I, I don't want to mention any names or anything, but right. you'll see somebody that's posted up in all this high grade gear and they're looking flashy and, but you go to their page and that's all they have. They don't have, they're, you know, they're like big buck killers, but you never see any, uh, you know, you never see any of that. You never see any of like the, um,
1: the, the realness, content. the
0: hunt, the yeah. hunt. All you yeah. see is the product pushing, but those people are always the ones with all the likes and all the follows. Why? Don't people come there to see the content, to see, uh, see like um, how to do it? Or are well, people just so wrapped up in all that years, advertising bullshit.
1: They, they are, uh, you know, and that's just kind of like that's part of like how it it goes, right? But in all honesty, again, if I had ten thousand followers and I was posting posts and I'm getting a thousand likes on my post which I don't pay attention to that, to be honest with you. Um, but I was someone who had 500 followers and I was getting, you know, 250 likes. You're engaging in more of percentage of your followers. And, and you know what I mean? So the people that are actually following you are following you, you know? And so I, I get that it's easy to get caught up in the likes and whatnot, but that's where you got to take your joys from the success stories from the people that you helped out the messages from people telling you, thank you for the content that you put out to help me so much, or those people that extend their, you know, their, their situation, like, Hey, can you look over this map for me? Hey, can I call you? Hey, can I do this? And I believe that genuineness goes a long ways. And again, that organic following of a real following is so much more important than an image. You know what I mean? Like we're known us, men and women in this world are known by our works. And there's a lot of people that fake it till they make it there. I mean, even the big names in the industry, again, we're not going to make names, but like, people look at them as, wow, they kill giants every year, but they don't also understand all of the potential things that they're doing, whether they're filming on, you know, great tracts of land, outfit land, you know, their own personal thousand acres or 2000 managed in in Iowa. And I'm not saying that if we didn't have the ability to own our own land and do it, we wouldn't do it, but I don't, there there's like a false sense of like what makes you a good hunter or what makes you someone you should follow. Um, when a lot of it is entertainment based or they feel the pressure that they need to kill big deer on film. So they got to go pay for them or oh, I'll sponsor this for an advertiser, such or such place. So I can get a free hunt on here, etc., cetera, or, or whatever it might be. And again, I don't think that's 95% of the hunting world. I think 95% of the hunting world has to hunt what they have available to them. Knock on doors, public land, um, you know, their out of state trips are DIY out of state trips, those kind of things. Those people are looking for the answers to, you know, and to be able to relate with real people who are really doing it and really being successful at it. And then, and gravitating towards the people that can put it into words and share it with them so they can understand it. And I, I'll be honest with you. I think the reason why that, you know, even like your top, you know, hunting YouTubers have, you know, 400,000 followers where you see a guy who's like a guitar player teaches lesson has 5.4 million I think because of the, the way the hunting industry is when it's turned a lot of people off and because of the overflooding of the market with, in YouTube, et cetera, with your self-proclaimed, you know, pros or guys that, you know, are, you know, you should follow, um, it's made it difficult and, and really turned a lot of people off to not being as engaged as they once were. Um, and who do you trust or who, 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 who's telling the truth and, or, or who's, you know, giving me really good advice that is going to translate, you know, into my hunting or that I might be able to take a few things from and, and, and use that's, that's the, that's the hard part. And that's really where people have to sift through, take the time, I guess, you know, if it matters to them and, and I think listening to people, you can tell, um, because it'll start to match up with the things you've saw in the woods. You'll be able to relate to it. You'll understand their ability to explain correctly what that is and the interpretation in it, um, you know, or their side of their spin on it and how it works for them and then be able to apply it and go, wow, this, you know, maybe it didn't work to a flawless T, but I saw success there. I saw an improvement in this area um, and I think those are the kind of people that people end up gravitating towards. They tell their, their buddies about, and, and it gains traction. It just takes time, you know?
0: I uh, I know I used to – I've been hunting since I was a young kid, but I know I used to follow a lot of the big names on, I don't know, TV and stuff. But within, like, the past couple of years, I've really kind of seeked out individuals like – um Dan Fault and the DeQuistos and guys like you, man, that, that are not super, super famous and all over um, TV, we'll say. Um, and man, you just learn so much more. It seems like it, when you watch that stuff on TV, it seems like uh, all you see is really the shot and some products, but you don't ever learn anything from it. It makes it, it makes it hard for guys that are trying to to hunt <laughs> it's kind Ultimately.
1: of hard to, it's kind of hard to relate to sitting over uh a bean field in the winter time in a redneck blind with 10 big bucks out in the field that they're not even interested in um that any you know most like those 95 percent most guys would be absolutely thrilled to take you know waiting on an absolute you know, giant to come out that they know of. And I'm not saying it's any easier to kill them or etc. but it's kind of hard to relate to that when like, you know, for a guy like me, I have no clue what that's like. I couldn't tell you at all what that's like to do. Um, and really, to be honest with you, I don't really have any ambition to hunt that way either because to me, that's, I'm not, that's a form of hunting, but that's just not my preference and how I, like to and enjoy to hunt you know with i love the chess match i love the making moves and you never know what's around the corner and what could lie next um you know that that's kind of more my style you know and i'm not knocking it i am it might seem like i am but just to me I don't feel like most guys can, can really relate to that. They watch it for entertainment value because everybody loves to see a giant get killed, you know, and, and those videos are well put together. They've got some of the best editors, you know, and, and you know, because of the sponsors and everything else, like they have a lot more money to be able to do. But like for guys like me, like I either have to pay somebody to edit of quality um, or, you know, which I'm in the process of learning it myself and trying to figure it all out. And like, I don't, that money is coming from me. I don't have a product that I'm trying to sell or a, you know, a company that I'm starting up, et cetera, as far as like, you know, that's producing a product for people to buy into. And that's what I think makes me relatable to a lot of other guys is because the knowledge is free, um, to follow along in my journey doesn't cost a dime. Um, you know, I'm not. I'm trying to help other people. Um, I, this is a true fact. My wife could back it up. Um, I over the past three years, I've had thousands of people reach out to me, and I've never not answered one of them. On all when I had Facebook, on Messenger, or Instagram, or people call me or message, my you know the page. I have took the time to answer every single person and give them the same respect that I would anybody else, regardless of their name or who they are or their skill level or what their goals are. It doesn't matter. I really did devote my time to trying to hunt, like to try to help um, the general population and anyone that was looking to either, you know whatever their hunting career was or sustained success or, or kill their first deer or kill their biggest deer um, or put the pieces together on a mature buck. It, it didn't matter. Um, but I just said, I would always answer and, and respond to those that reached out to me because you should take it as a very high honor that people think enough of you to ask your opinion and, and are seeking the time to go out and as, as men and women, sometimes it's not easy asking for help or, 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 you know, swallowing your pride and say, man, I'm stumped. You know, I, I, I've been hunting for a lot of years. I think I'm a pretty decent hunter, but like I'm missing something here. What am I missing? And you really learn a lot about a person by giving them the time of day and treating them with the respect that they deserve and, and being a public service person. It's just you're not getting paid to do it. And that's that's perfectly fine by me. You know, my old old goal was that, you know, one day, you know, with the YouTube channel that. If we ever went monetized and made money, it wasn't coming out of your pocket or my pocket or somebody else's YouTube pays you for their ad time Mm -hmm. and whatever money that generated it, it. You know, it's not. I'm not going to ask for follows. That's one thing people tell you about me. I don't ask for follows. I don't have giveaways so I can get to 2,000 subscribers or 3,000 subscribers. Like, I'm not, I don't want to beg or seek that kind of attention. I, again, I want it to be organic where somebody heard a podcast, somebody saw a video, somebody uh, could relate to me um, or uh, was referenced by another hunter. Because to me, that person is likely to truly follow you and be engaged in what you're doing more so than somebody who's looking to get a free hat on a giveaway or a sweatshirt or, uh, you know, or, you know, to be associated with what you're doing.
0: Uh, Before I respond to that, I'm getting a little bit of crackle from your end. I don't know if you I know you're recording from your truck. Right yeah, now. Um,
1: so, yeah, we're we're building a house right now, so uh the camper is full with everybody, so it makes it kind of tough. So yeah, I'm in a parking lot. Um I'm not sure if it's I mean it could be. Is that better?
0: Um it's just kind of crackling every every so often, maybe every ten seconds, but it's just like a little um white noise. I don't know. Maybe you had could have been like air conditioner on, maybe blowing yeah, I, into I, it or something.
1: Yeah, I had the, I had the air on slightly, but I turned it down. So maybe it'll straighten itself out or whatever. I apologize for those that are listening and and having to deal with that. So I, I know it makes it unenjoyable.
0: So I think it's interesting that, um, which I do the same thing. I reply to everybody. Um, sometimes it might take me a day or two, but I, I do reply to everybody, um, that, that messages me. I think it's interesting that, um, a guy like you that consistently kills big bucks on public land in different states that people like me or people like, you know, average guys can message you and get a response because guys like us, when we message, we message, you know, big names in the industry, they're never going to see the message. You're never going to get any kind of response. So I think that's important. Um, for people to learn. I mean, they've got to learn from somebody, right? So if they're not getting any response from guys that, that are doing it, how, how do they, how do they learn? So it, it, it's nice that you take the time unpaid and everything to, to respond and give people advice. Um, I want to ask you one more question and then we'll kind of get into some deer hunting stuff. What's one thing that you would caution people like trying to get into the industry i'm sure we probably covered a little bit of it but what's the one main point you would tell somebody when they said hey jason i want to get involved in the hunting outdoor industry what do i do you know um what would you say
1: well if we're if we're talking like from a caution standpoint um do your research on the company and not just the company but those who run the company, how is that company ran? What are their goals? How's their customer service? How do they treat their pro staff? Cause you can reach out to other pro staff and ask them, you know, like, hey, how's the engagement, um, you know, maybe devote your time. And, and, you know, if you do get lucky enough to, to be with somebody um, or fortunate enough to get chosen, um, volunteer for a show work with them see how their company works see how they treat their their not just their their customers but also the people that work for them um, figure out what's being asked of you and if it's really realistic that you could accommodate those you know those things that they're asking of you um, because to be honest with you and, and this isn't this to me isn't just a, oh, to every other company or, or a, a, every once in a while company. The industry is very cutthroat. And again, like I said, there's a thousand of you, and they know it, who will work for that 15% discount to be associated, to have their name linked to somebody else, um, to repost pictures and talk good about a product and even if they don't believe in the product even if they've never used it to be able to say hey you know like i've used this certain scent and you know it works you know well where's the proof you know what i mean like and i'm not just saying that it doesn't but i'm saying like you know no Know something about the product that you're aiming towards. And, and I think most people, you know, when, when in the beginning stages, they try to go for the products and, and that they use, that they, that they are familiar with. But a lot of times what happens is, is because you're just a nobody, you have to get in your foot in the door. And a lot of the up and coming products that maybe not a lot of people have heard of are going to be your opportunities. And that makes it difficult because they haven't been in the game very long. Um, they're relatively new. You don't really know a whole lot about them. Um, you know, and, and and like there are a lot of great people to work with in the industry. I've been fortunate to meet a lot of wonderful people um, that I'm still friends with to this day and talk to on a regular basis. But again, I've also met a lot of people that i really don't care if I ever talk to again, like it just, I've saw them and the way they're, they act, the way they run the company, the way they talk to their people, the way that, you know, like what's expected of you, et cetera, compared to what they're willing to give you in return. And, you know, I just, there are some people that it works for. Yeah. But if you're, trying to do something along the lines of what we're doing you're doing i'm doing a lot of other people are doing um my advice would be to stay away from the sponsorship thing um and see where you can get your company to go to with your own hard work with your own success using whatever you want so you don't have to answer to somebody Um, and being, you know, you don't have to edit this out. You don't have to advertise this or that. I think a lot of people get turned off by that whole, you know, like I said, and you mentioned this too, when it's a walking billboard, your content, you know, when, when, you know, a certain, you know, brand is, is all over something to the point that's like, okay, we get it. (laughs) You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like, yeah, it, it really is, it's being pushed down your throat. And I know that tactic has been successful from from a, an advertisement standpoint, but if you hear a lot of people talk, especially guys like us, nobody wants to see that anymore. They're they're tired of it. You know what I mean? They're tired of the battles between who is the best and who is this. And oh well, I'm not a this guy brand user. Or you're not a this. Well, you don't know how to hunt, or you don't use this kind of stand or saddle or etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And it's just a it's a constant beef back and forth. Like who gives a shit? Use what you want to use. Use what works for you. And and those guys that wanna shame or bash or do whatever you you know uh, that you know. It's one thing to respectfully disagree with somebody's opinion, um, but those guys that are trolling, asking, like, well, why do you use this brand, etc." They know what they're doing, and they'll try to hide behind the whole thing, like, well, I just wanted to know, like, where he was coming from. Yeah, but then your next line, once he says it, is only to rebuttal him and then try to bash the company and go down. Like, no, it's not. It, and, and there's people... That's their job to do and expected for companies to do is purposely bash their products, purposely go on there. That's like that's why I said it's not for me. You know what I mean? Like I don't care what company comes up and sells a certain stand or stick or a camera arm or a bow or whatever like more power to them. I, I would like to see all entrepreneurs be successful when they're good people and run a good legitimate product with good customer service, et cetera. Like we as consumers, we, we profit from that by having many options to choose from and not everybody's the same. So what works for you might not work for me. And it's nice to be able to have those options. Why people gotta feel like there's only one option or what they use is the best you know, and again, this isn't some newfound thing. It's the Chevy, Ford, Chrysler, whatever, you know, same syndrome. But to be honest with you, when you look at it, that's not what makes you successful. You know, your drive, your passion, your hard work, your dedication, your honing your craft, your learning, and the knowledge uh, to be able to put yourself in the position to be there when that animal is there and success, you know, sustained success, that has nothing to do with the products that you're using, you know? So, so and I know guys will say, well, I mean, it keeps you warmer and the woods will stay longer. Like we'll figure it out. You know what I mean? We, you know, we will, We're, you know, if we have to suffer, we will. And guys will naturally gravitate, You know, if you're a, a, a cold, you know, a late season hunter, you know, guys upgrade their stuff naturally, so they don't freeze, and they will they'll ask questions. Hey, what works and what this, and and then that happens like on an organic level, and and you get good people to give good advice, um, you know, without trying to push something down your throat. And there's a lot of good people out there that will do that. Say, hey, man, I've used this, this, and this. These were great. And that was just my experience in them. And people have a lot of different options to choose from and whatever option they choose from is obviously probably going to be better than what they were using in the first place. So like they'll naturally start to gravitate towards getting gear that it optimizes their hunting style. So, you know, I get how gear can help you stay longer in the woods or make it more enjoyable or comfortable or easier. Uh, but again, those, that tree stand don't put you in the right position that it don't pick the spot you should go to. That takes your brain and your knowledge and, and your ability to read sign and, and deer behavior and, and time spent in the woods. And I don't, I really feel like a lot of people are overlooking that aspect and that's kind of where we're blinded at right now.
0: Well, I kind of want to jump into, uh, some deer hunting stuff now, um, Thought it was important to touch on, on that stuff because I know there's a lot of people interested in it and people need to know kind of the truth. Like what, what should you caution against? If you know, people don't know what they're getting into. It's nice to hear from somebody that's been through it. So you, you're a big buck killer. I seen, uh, seen some pictures of your Pope and young bucks. Um, do you remember the moment that you, uh, decided you wanted to start shooting these mature bucks was it like a light switch i mean you were you were killing probably four corns and stuff at one point right spikes
1: yeah when was the moment um so yeah i like i have a basket at home that's like a box that's like a reminder of all the like four corns and and little sixes and And uh, three points, whatever you know, whatever legal buck came through, and I had a blast doing that. And I had to learn to be a killer first. Um, but uh, I do remember the exact moment that it was. Um, I have always been a mobile hunter, um, outside of my early Michigan bait pile, fixed stand days. Um, we, I, I. I had a lone wolf assault and the, the full link sticks. And that was my system. Like when I didn't see anybody using one around me for a long time. And that was just how I hunted. And people say, you dig that down every time you go out and I go there. And I was like, yeah, you know what I mean? That's, but like failure was my greatest teacher, but, um, I always, every year you want to kill a big buck, right? Like, that's your goal. Like, I'm going to kill a big one this year. Like, you know, I don't even say it. And But realistically, my goals were like, okay, I want to kill two eight points this year. You're allowed two tags in Michigan. And, like, I was like, I want to kill two eights this year. I didn't care how big they were. Um, and I did that for a few seasons. And then it was like, okay, I, I want to kill my best buck this year. And I remember during, like, this process... I never really had age class or a specific horn size, like, you know, like score in mine. But I went into an area and I was looking for a big buck and a year and a half old eight came out and it was probably 15 inch inside spread. It had a split G1, um, probably the very buck you should pass because it had the genetics to be an absolute hammer. And I was videoing it with my phone And then I was like, oh, shit, I probably should shoot this thing. And I grabbed my bow and it was like 15 yards away I, you know, double lunged him. He ran over like 80 yards and fell over and died. And I hung my bow up and I was like, that was cool. And it like hit me when I was sitting there, I never got the shakes like I used to when I was killing whatever deer and, you know, whether it was a doe or whatever, like just that after moment. I have never got them beforehand, but I always got it right after the shot. And like, I watched the deer, everything's in slow motion. It disappears. And all of a sudden, boom, it hits you. And like, you're flooded with that adrenaline and that emotion and the excitement and it never hit me. And I was sitting in my tree stand and I was like, it's time for a change like I've reached at this point where I'm not challenging myself anymore. My, my goals I've set are so low that I can accomplish them. And even though I was a successful hunter, like, uh, you know, especially here in Michigan and, you know, we get a lot of, a lot of guys talk about how hard it is here to hunt. It is hard here to hunt. It's not the hardest state. Um, and I will never make the claims of that, but it is a difficult, you know, state. It's very uh, pressured. Um, but, you know, I, I, we had a pretty big hunting party and, you know, my dad and I were the only guys that were filling our tags every single season on bucks. And, and we were killing the bigger bucks out of all the guys, even though they were basket eights or, you know, seven point or five point, you know, the other guys for the most part, like, you know, it just wasn't happening. So like we were already setting a precedent as far as like being killers and that's what we were known for. But like, my own personal goal was like i wanted to kill a big buck and and my idea of a big buck but had nothing to do with score it was just a certain frame you know you just knew it when you saw it and i remember telling my dad that i said i'm gonna scout harder this year we were already mobile We'd, we'd seen a lot of nice deer um but just could never seem to close the gap on them and i said i'm going to up my game I'm i'm Like I'm going to read everything I can read. I'm going to research everything I can research. I mean, I'm going to pick brains of guys that I think that are really good at, at, at hunting or have success, find out what the keys are, not just a one guy, but multiple, maybe I'll be able to put like something together that correlates, you know, five guys all have the same quality. Maybe that's what I'm lacking. And I wanted to refine my setups. I wanted to understand wind better. I wanted to understand betting better you know, be able to understand all the food sources in the area. And I really dove into it, like head first, super passionate about it. Like, you know, the drive was there, the motivation was there. And my, at the time, my dad was like, you're going to eat a lot of tags, man. This is Michigan. Now, granted, I had, I'm being honest with you, outside of somebody on private land, I had never seen a guy in a parking lot on public land, pull even a hundred inch deer out of any neck of woods, gun season, whatever. I just never saw it here. I mean, it's just, it's just like I saw four points and six points and, you know, you'd see the occasional decent, you know, eight, you know, maybe just shy of a hundred inches, but you never saw that, like a mature buck, like, you know, what you would think, like, it just, it it wasn't commonplace. And so I knew I was setting a a goal that was in a a sense, almost unattainable compared to what everybody would tell you. And, uh, that first year, um, it took me till November 7th and I shot 132 inch, 12 point. I actually shot it on the ground at 18 yards. Um, it maybe ran 50 or 60 yards, stove right up and died, you know, where I could see it. And at the time, my dad wasn't far from me. He actually heard the shot and then saw the deer running and then fall down and uh he came running down where i was and i was standing you know like in the open and i just like had my bull in the air and i was like dude can you believe that like did you see that and you know he's like running down excited and when we went over to the deer mean we didn't let it lay for five i mean it was that <laughs> um we went over to the deer and we both thought 100% that that deer was 100 160 inches and we'd never had one scored. We'd never saw a Pope and Young on the ground, nothing like that whatsoever. And so when we had it scored, I remember the disappointment when I found out like, wow, that that's 132. Like, and these guys are killing 170 inch deer, 150 inch deer, like that you see on, on the TV or whatever. Or like, and, and and even all you know, other guys. And I was like, like that's an absolute like this is a buck of a lifetime and I remember feeling like I accomplished a lifetime goal and I remember I didn't hunt for like three days afterwards because I felt like where do I go from here like I'm never gonna kill a buck this big ever again like this is like a a once-in-a-lifetime thing and everybody even said like it's a buck of a lifetime it's I heard it um you know I had people that were pulling over on the side of the road trying to get me to stop uh stopping at gas stations like taking pictures of my deer it like i said it you know here it's a huge deal to see a buck that big like you know it's just and, and it's coming more commonplace now um because guys are more guys are into the quality deer management aspect of it and passing and being more specific but still it's still when you see a buck of that caliber it's, it's still it's not commonplace like iowa or kansas where you see 130 incher and they're like why'd you shoot that you know kind of thing it's it's a big deal here and uh that was like you know that was my first moment to it but then it just then after a few days i was like you know what like maybe i don't have to beat that but i want to see if i can duplicate it So the next year, I put in the hard work. I did everything else the same thing, and I ended up shooting two bucks. I shot one that scored 127, and the very next night, I shot 140-inch 10-point. So I beat the buck that I shot, and I actually shot two Pope and Youngs in the same year, back-to-back days. And after that, you couldn't convince me that it couldn't be done anymore like you just couldn't. And even my dad, who was like the first one, like, yep, you got lucky. And then the second one, man, that's a good, you know, and then all also the third one, it was like, okay, what are you doing? You know what I mean? That was like, and he was my partner, but we hunt, we hunt, you know, now we hunt very, very similar. Um, but before we scouted similar, we had the understanding of the deer. He just wasn't as aggressive as what I was. And, 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 and was more like the sit back approach. And I, I, I think that has a lot to do with, the the time frame in which he started hunting and like mm-hmm. that whole mindset of you can't go in and blow them out kind of thing. And it's like, well, sometimes you can get away with a lot more than you think, but if you, you gotta have all the factors in your favor, you know, the wind, um, you know, how you're walking in, knowing where they're betting at, where they prefer to, understanding that betting area, their travel routes, etc., where they're going, the food sources, where pressure's coming from, you know, all the different variables that you have to be able to compute on the fly. And, and, game plan for that's, that's, you know, like that was it. And then, then after that, um, I went on a stretch where like in Michigan we have this thing called CBM. So anything over a hundred inches makes Michigan record. And I went on a stretch for like three or four years where I was killing, you know, like 105 to 120 inch bucks, but killing two every year. And then I got to this point where, I didn't want to kill that caliber animal anymore and it wasn't about a specific score as much as it was going after a specific deer I wanted to start targeting specific animals that I um, either found in season and there was something about them I really wanted um, or I knew about them from scouting you know glassing whatever and they were the oldest buck but I wanted to challenge my the challenge was to go after the best the best caliber deer that I could not necessarily the score but like if it was a big you know mainframe seven with mass busted up but he was like the big boy in the block you know I wanted to outsmart that deer and I wanted to kill him and so I started targeting specific deer and again, like I said, the same principles that I was using, you know, with the scouting and understanding the lay of the land and the bedding areas and the food sources and the wind, how to go in an area, how to come out of an area, and then started adding to that, like the time frame of, of when these deer were using or moving in daylight. And I wasn't running cameras. I was just doing this off of like my own scouting, glassing, and then in season hunting slash scouting, you know, we, we my dad and I laugh because we say we created this word, we call it skunting, where you're scout hunting, you're scouting for the place to hunt, you know what I mean, and so like, that was what I started doing, and then I started killing specific deer, we really never got into naming deer specifically, but we just, you know, we knew like, okay, that's that 10 point where, you know, or that, you know, that nine point or that, that buck we saw, you know, we knew what we were talking about or we'd we'd name a specific hunting place, like a certain area. Um, You know, like for instance, we got a a place that we call jiggly buck spot because my son was youth hunting and this very mature buck wasn't a bro big back deer, maybe 120, 130 came out and his body was jiggling. So we all laughed and said, okay, that's the jiggly buck spot. So like we, we, that's kind of how we did things. And then, and, and I started killing specific deer and then, you know, that's still where I'm at right now is, 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 uh, going after the best caliber animal I know how to find. Um, and, and that, listen, I might have my eyes set on a, you know, a specific eight point and then I hunt four or five days after them. And all of a sudden find a 10 point that really, you know, now I'm like, okay, I want the eight or the 10 and I'll hunt until, you know, like I said, we get two tags here. So if one of those bucks comes by me, like I'm going to shoot him. And yeah, is there sometimes, you know, a surprise buck shows up that maybe you didn't know about and you know, that fits your criteria. Of course that happens, but it's become less frequent that that started to happen and it's more of a surprise factor, you know what I mean, than what it is. And and then, so, you know, and it's been, you know, 20 years and, you know, I've been fortunate enough in that 20 years to knock one down, at least one down every year, a lot of years too. And then, so that got me traveling out of state, you know, because one of my goals was like, I want to be able to kill a buck like that in every state I hunt. For the challenge of my own self, like you know, there's no recognition and I don't get no award or something like that, it's just my own thing I wanted to do. And um and in the beginning years when I started hunting out of state, um, I think I had my goal set a little too high. <laughs> uh like I was like, you know, I'm going for a 160 or bust, um and and really like on public land outside of maybe like Kansas, Iowa you know, someplace like that, a mature buck is still a, a trophy. Like, and so I had to learn that, you know, granted, you know, last year in Indiana, um, you know, again, I didn't know that area at all. I never hunted there whatsoever. Just went down a buddy of mine that hunts with from bed to dead, um, actually, uh, had, had prior knowledge in this area, this whole area and wanted me to come down and he had spots picked out, etc., And, and I went down and kind of looked at his spots and it, it, it wasn't my style, like how I would hunt. And so I went back to the camper and, and uh, started looking on the maps and found, picked like three or four spots out. And the next morning I slept in, drove around, scouted this, the, where all the people were in the parking lots and then looked at the spots that I wanted to look at. And three of the four spots I looked at were bust. They just, it didn't look like what I wanted it to look like or what I thought it looked like on the map. But then the one spot had everything I was hoping for. And when I got there, um, it was absolutely just obliterated with sign five huge scrapes, the size of a truck hood, a horizontal rub that went from my neck down to my knee, several big, huge rubs, fresh tracks, droppings. Like I knew, you know I mean? I, I could smell the scrapes even downwind. So like I knew, you know, I called my wife and said, you know, either tonight or tomorrow I'll be tagged out. She's like, "How do you know?" I said, "Just telling you." And uh, I got set up at one o'clock. At two twenty-eight, I called my wife and said, "I'm—he's dead." And she's like, "Really?" And I, I didn't know how big the deer was. Honest to God, like I videoed him, got great footage, and and in uh, that episode will be coming out pretty quick. I actually a friend of mine, Sam uh, from Chase Nation, um, great guy. Uh, He's going to be editing the film for me to get it out there. We've just been so busy with the new build, the house, and everything going on in our life. But it's coming, um, and it's really, really informative. Like I said, I show why I set my stand, where I set my stand. I was too many sticks high, the cover, the sign, what my train of thought was, how I came in, you know, everything that happened. And then, you know, it played out pretty much exactly like i said it was going to play out and I end up shooting him at seven yards so like and and then of course i thought he was a mid-40s caliber deer when i first saw him and then when you walk up to him you know afterwards uh he uh just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and and i've not officially scored him and i'm not going to i haven't officially scored a buck in probably over 10 years um just doesn't matter to me but um He'll, he'll go, Boone. <laughs> so,
0: you, you've you got to gain this reputation, I'm sure, around your hometown to be like the guy doing it. I mean, if guys in Michigan, like you said, they're not used to seeing those kind of deer killed. Do you ever feel, um, and you're on social media now, with, you know, the internet and everything, Do you ever feel like pressure, like you need to like – I'm sure you feel pressure – and your own goals like you need to kill a buck you know a nice buck this year but do you ever feel like you're pressured by outside influence
1: see one thing about me is i'm a really competitive person naturally like so if we're if uh if i'm playing a basketball game with my son and playing pig like i want to win i'm not going to let you win um that's just how i am um Now, If you beat me, you beat me fair and square. I can accept defeat, and I'm a gracious loser. Uh, But, like, I'm the kind of person that, like, will go out and shoot jump shots afterwards because the next time we play each other, like, you're going to get a better version of me. So as far as, like, the pressure-wise goes, I put put that pressure on myself every season to be successful. So, like, even when I started filming and you would think, like, you know, Whitetail Addictions, you know, a sponsored – you know, lone wolf custom gears or sponsorship, whatever they've had a show before you would think going into that, there's this like huge pressure packed thing to be successful. But that's what I do to myself every year, because that's my measuring stick. Like every year, my goal is to kill a big buck, you know, at least one. And like, I'm disappointed in myself if I can't get the job done, you know? And like, so that pressure it's not pressure to me. It's my expectation. And I think that's a lot, a lot of people do put the pressure on them because maybe they're not at that level or they're jumping into something like skipping a bunch of different steps and going right to the whole, you know, I'm going to be a big butt killer when like a guy like me, like I learned how to kill deer period. I learned how to draw on them, how to, you know, not get busted, you know, by all my failures, but then also by killing all the deer that I did, it was just whatever legal was to kill. And then I gravitated naturally. Like I took the steps. It was like a stepping stone thing to get to where I was. And I feel like I did that pretty quick. Cause I'm still relatively young. I mean, you know, I'll be 40 years old this year. So like, um, you know, I hopefully have several years left in me to, to be able to do it like this, but like, um, I let my own expectations and goals lead me not someone else's so for me if i shot a 115 inch deer and i was pumped to do it i don't care who you are you weren't going to make me feel bad about the deer i shot like that was my trophy i worked hard for that deer it was the best deer i could find and regardless of what state you hunted in or what you had to say you weren't going to change my mind like so you know for me, you know, do I know people expect to see, you know, and they comment on my page all the time and stuff like that, like, oh, man, I can't wait to see the buck you kill this year. um, But I don't feel that as pressure because that's just my expectation. You know, when you put yourself in the public's eye – you know, number one, you're going to get scrutiny for how you do things in your success. People are always going to think you're cheating somehow or you're doing something wrong, etc. But then for the people that do respect you, etc., they, they come to believe that, you know, you're going to get it done. And they're like expecting, which is which is a cool thing. You should be happy with that. Like you get to surprise them with the caliber animal that you shoot every single year. And regardless of what people think or are expecting, that does not go in my decision-making whether I shoot a buck or not. The trophy is in the eye of the beholder, you know.
0: That's going to lead me into my next question um, because I know a lot of guys are not big buck killers, you know. Guys are shooting whatever they want to shoot. How do guys deal or, or girls deal with buck shaming? I mean...
1: It's, it's, yeah, I mean, honestly, it's horse shit. Like, it's one thing to me, like, when you're a part of your own group and, you, you know what I mean, like, you guys are all friends or whatever, and you give each other shit over something, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, one of your buddies, like, misjudges a deer, because it happens sometimes, you know what I mean? You thought he was a little bigger than he was, or it was low-light conditions, or, or you know, whatever it might have been, got an itchy trigger finger, so you give each other shit. <laughs> that yeah. That's that's a different like sure is it still shaming yes but it's in a joking loving manner comes from a good place but the shit that we're talking about like online where guys are you know like why i wouldn't have shot that deer blah blah well it's not your tag you didn't pay the money for it you don't know this guy's situation and how often he can hunt or you know maybe he's he's hungry and you really needed to meet like, you know, who knows what the situations are, but you should never judge somebody based upon just be what, like what in the hell ever happened to just being happy for somebody for their right and legal aspect to do and hunt how they want to hunt. You know, it was like that with crossbows when they first come out everybody was all like, Oh, you know, they're not real hunters and, and blah, blah. Well now, you know, has down the road as we hit, like no one gives a shit. You know, oh, well, they're, you're using inline muzzleloaders and they're not like a regular flintlock muzzleloader down the road. Nobody gives a shit. You know, it's, 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 and the point is, is like, why rain on somebody's parade of what they decided they want to shoot or what they're happy with shooting and making them feel like less of a person or less of a hunter? We all start somewhere. And not only that, but some guys aren't into trophy hunting or, or mature buck hunting. They're meat hunters, um, you know, and I know there's an argument for that, like, well, if you're a meat hunter, shoot a doe, let the buck, What you know, whatever. Um, but still, if it's his legal right to take the deer that he takes, you know, as much as it might not be up your alley or what you want, what personal gain is there to, to cause? You're not educating the guy. You're not going to make him think, oh, man, why should I have done that? You're only going to damage the hunting community more and push everybody apart and instead you should just like hey man congratulations good job be happy for your fellow man uh, uh on their journey and 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 instead of you know blasting them for the caliber deer they decided to shoot like that to me and again your your stand-up guys or your guys that are usually your successful year in you're out it's not those kind of guys that are doing it. It's your internet warriors, uh, your wannabe, you know, so-called experts, uh, your guys that troll everybody or they're on social media 24-7, comment on every little thing that takes place, you know, because they, they think it makes them look cool or they feel like it's their business to, to educate somebody, but you're not really educating them. You're just educating us all on what kind of an asshole you are
0: and uh i think it's important um it's really none of their business that deer you're shooting if it doesn't you know it's not their tag and it's not their property it's 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 no concern to them i i can't count the number of times um i'm part of a a group for indiana um it's bucks of indiana just they post all deer that people send in can't count the number of times that people Will take like a I don't know a ten year old kid and bash him for shooting a four corn. It's like, God, man, you know, it could have been the kid's first time out. I'm sure he's pumped to do that. Grown men, I mean, it it's
1: insane. That's a society issue, brother. <laughs> what something completely we could go on and on with, you know, especially with how our society is now. That's that's a society thing and that the age of entitlement we live in
0: so let's jump into some some public land strategies i feel like you've got it i feel like you've got it figured out so i kind of want to pick your brain a little bit so like when you're looking for a new piece of ground to hunt i don't know you're on onyx or google earth or whatever what are you looking for like are you just looking for the largest track are you looking for something that's close to your house are you looking for specific terrain features a combination of all of those i mean how, uh, do you know, how do you know what to pick and what to say i'm i'm not going there
1: well number one like for my own home state uh, you know when it's not too far drive or even sometimes you know some some out-of-state places i'm gonna go and drive there and walk it over and look because i can't really write an area off on any of those aspects um until i know that there's not mature bucks that are there or or bucks of the caliber that i'm looking for um so the most important aspect of of finding a place to hunt or a new place is number one does it have the caliber deer that you want to kill living on it traveling through it you know or, or frequenting it during the season if, if the answer is no, then I move on. Or if I feel like that the density or maybe the, the number of them that are there is very, very low. when like when I say low, like maybe I've scouted 10,000 acres and I only thought I saw maybe one or two decent spots. I'll go to other pieces and then base my season on the best, pieces and sign that I can find um with the best chances of success I mean think of it this way you know would you rather chase one buck all year or five big bucks all year I mean you know what I mean like your your odds of success are going to go up if you have more quality caliber deer to chase um and again sometimes I have multiple deer that I would be happy shooting and sometimes I have one or two it just depends on the, 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 the season and the, in the year. And, um, you know, and I also like, again, I think it's huge to keep an eye on your up and comers. If you've got a lot of two and a half year old 75 to a hundred inch deer roaming around your area, odds are, you know, next year you're going to have quite a few bucks that might fit your criteria or, or, you know, or vice versa, whatever you want to look at. So, I mean, you know, I look at all those factors. Um, I look at pressure, number two, is, you know, how many people are hunting this piece. Um, is the access super easy where there's cutouts and trails all through it so you, anybody can go anywhere? Even if it's one mile in, it's not much effort. Um, so the, that's another big aspect of it. Uh, the other aspect of it is, is, is bedding and food you got to have food and bedding on, on the property for deer to live there. So if you, know, and you're, you're going to need good bedding and you're going to need quality food sources. So, I mean, they all play into one another, um, you know, but, but those are the most important pieces. If you ask me. So once you get a, once you get a piece
0: of ground picked out, and you're like, um, going to go put boots on the ground. Let's, let's say that it's maybe the first week of season. Um, I'm sure that you've probably scouted it prior mm-hmm. if it's around you, but let's just say you, you make it, you pick a piece that's out of state. you never been there. It's you show up and it's like the first week. Where do you know where to begin? I mean, if you're hunting a track that's thousands and thousands of acres,
1: like, Where do you start? Well, one of the biggest things is most everybody has like Onyx or some sort of mapping um, app or, or, you know, on their phone now or computer. And there's no excuse to not be able to pick locations that you feel might be pretty good. Again, knowing where all the parking lots are, etc., And then forego that first morning, sleep in, get up at 839, make a coffee, drive around all those parking lots and see where how many cars are in the parking lots. You know, no, okay, there's six cars in this parking lot, but this one spot right here I was looking at, there ain't none. And it doesn't look like anybody's been there in a while. Maybe it's an overlooked piece. And then get out and put boots on the ground and see if that, The sign matches what you thought originally off your, you know, scouting of your map. That means walking those transition lines, um, you know, looking at potential bedding. You know, sometimes it could be standout bottlenecks if you're going during the rut, and sometimes it could be an overlooked bottleneck or you know, just terrain features why they go. You know, whether it be a rise or ridges or creeks stuff like that and then you know put the boots on the ground and spend their first day or two or however long if you got a week trip why waste your time hunting adequate or maybe not what you're willing to sign when you could be spending that putting boots on the ground pounding until you find what you know is where you need to be and then focusing your efforts on those areas for the remainder of your hunt you will be way more successful if you do that and and like i, I posted videos uh, you know last year like in indiana i drove around not just that area but i wanted to see the whole square mile and the miles around it to see what was in the area like was there you know, food sources, uh, private pressure, you know, shit like that. Like I, that's what I actually did, you know, major, that was a major aspect of what I was doing. And and, and I feel like that's a huge key in being successful because of the fact that like all that outside pressure, all those influence deer movement and potential bedding and stuff like that. So like the more variables that you can answer with, logical or realistic answers the better chances of success you're going to have when you can apply it to your hunting situations or your hunting strategy
0: so it sometimes you think it's good to burn a day then and 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 scout uh, maybe burns not the right word but
1: i was the burn first a day then go in in the morning and stumble around somewhere and just set in a stand and have no clue really what you're looking at as it gets daylight and hope to get lucky. Cause that's, you know what I mean? Oh, well I found, and I'm not saying you can't do that. If you're really good at map reading or you already know the area has good bucks in it from, you know, previous years hunting, etc. Sure. You might be able to pick a spot out and go in there and on your way in, kind of read the sign, play the wind hunt and be successful. But to me, um, I got to know as much as I possibly can about an area before um, I feel confident that I'm in the best position possible with doing the least amount of damage during that hunt. So that's just, that's just how I go about it. And it's been, it's worked out well for me.
0: It's easy, I think, um, because I know it still happens to me. It's easy to get caught up in, just going in and sitting and hoping and sitting and hoping, sitting and hoping. But um, in reality, if you'd go in and burn a day, you'd probably learn a lot more burning one day than you would in 25 sits of going to the same place and doing the same thing. I mean, that's kind of insane if you think about it. I
1: mean, that is the very definition of insanity, but I mean, that's, that's the difference between somebody learning or, being stuck in their ways to somebody who's had success understands kind of what it takes what they're looking for you know I'm not willing to burn a you know 25 days in an area and never have seen a mature buck like you ain't gonna I'm not gonna be sitting that area anymore like there's I mean that's that's not adequate for me. You know what I mean? Like there's gotta be something there keeping me there, mm-hmm. you know? And if you're reading and interpreting the sign, right, you should be having encounters at some you know, at some point.
0: I think a lot of guys get caught up and they went out and they hung a stand, big drug, a big ladder stand with their buddy or, you know, a double stand with their buddy a mile and a half back. And now they're like, we got this stand back here. We got to keep sitting it, got to keep sitting it. And, uh, yeah they're invested yeah um when you're when you're going on these pieces of public and you're um maybe burning a day or you're scouting your way in what are you looking for specifically i mean i know you're looking for sign you're probably looking for rubs what what if you can well, only, you're, what if well, you you're
1: looking go? you're looking for when you say sign you want specifics because that's mm-hmm. another, that's like a terminology that a lot of guys use. And you can't tell anymore whether somebody is actually knows what the hell they're talking about or they don't when they say, well, you know, find the sign. Well, what exactly does that mean? Well, what that means to me is fresh tracks, droppings, rubs, runs, scrapes, sightings, uh, you know, sign that a deer leaves. That lets you know that it's using or living in that area. Those are what the key factors of what you're looking for are. 100%. You know, how else would you know it? Because like it's impossible for a deer to not leave that, any of those things in an area if it lives there. It's just impossible. It can't float. It's got to shit. It's got to eat. If it's a buck, it's going to rub. You could tell by the track size. You know, it's not 100% a foolproof thing, but for the most part, it's a pretty good indicator of a good caliber deer. You know, rub, rub heights and being able to differentiate like how high a rub is on what kind of a tree, what if there's times dug in it, those kind of things, like can give you a pretty good indication on the caliber deer you're chasing. Little bucks don't rub on big trees or leave big rubs. But big bucks will rub on little trees. You know what I mean? Like, so you gotta have an understanding of, of, of those things. Aggressive branches snapped over shows dominance. Like there's just certain things that you should be looking for. So out of
0: out of tracks and scrapes and rubs and poop and all that. Um, if you had to pick one to set up on, what would it be
1: tracks? hundred tracks. percent. Cause you can, you know how fresh they are and if you, you could tell how fresh now, again, different times of the year, different reason. you know what I mean? Different things like, you know, a, a great scrape in a secluded area or a scrape line, you know, can be a, just a matter of time before the buck comes there. A rub line can lead you to a bedding area or a travel corridor that a buck is using. Again, can be just a matter of time. But you have to hit those with the perfect timing. Like that's, that's, those are, but tracks don't lie. They tell you like a deer has been in the area within 24 hours or it's old. It's been a while before he's been in there. You know, same thing with poop. You can tell the difference between fresh poop and dried up old poop that it, it, those give you relevancy on a time frame far greater than a scrape or a rub wood outside of, you know, of one that's like literally just freshened up. You know what I mean? But if it's a couple days old, you know, even some of the best guys have a hard time interpreting how long it's been since the deer's been using it or if they're using it every day or it, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Like, so like, you know to me tracks are such a wonderful indication cuz they tell you what direction a deer is going where they've been where the you know where where like where they're headed to how long has it been since they've been there you know how often have they been there you know those kind of things so you know that to me those are like those have been more important to my success over the last few years um than any other factor to me now they all have a place don't get me wrong and they do but you know again it's you can't put yourself in a box and say okay well if i was only going to do one thing this is what i would do they all work hand in hand with each other but um to me that's Probably the most important factor in, in my honest opinion and in, in my endeavors that I feel has worked for me. And again, not everybody interprets everything at the same level or even that their minds work the same way. Um, so you know, other guys might have better success with finding scrapes and rubs and, and interpret those, and, and, and that's just their bread and butter. Um, but for me, it's a hundred percent tracks. So On
0: food sources, I know I've fought with this and I'm sure thousands of other people have. Um, When deer start to transition off the, like the beans and all that stuff. And you you go into the timber and you're trying to find the acorns and everything. Let's say you have tons and tons and tons of acorns. How do you know where, where to be? I guess you're basing that off tracks and scrapes and rubs like... If there's well, tons track, of acorns,
1: tracks and deer shit. If they're there and spending time there, you're gonna have a lot of deer shit on the ground. You know what I mean? And you're yeah. gonna have a lot of tracks on the ground. But another thing too is, is once season comes, them deer have already had pressure put on them on public land because people have been out hanging their stands, late scouting, trying to get their last little bit. Whether you got used seasons, you seasons, you've got doe seasons, whatever it might be. them deer are already starting to get pressured, you know, so that's where your spring scouting and winter scouting starts to come in because you're a frequent, you're you're knowledgeable about the bedding areas that are existing around your area. And then it's about putting your stand on your back and trying to find those isolated, secure oak acorns that are dropping um, and then match that up with the sign like rubs, scrapes, tracks, you know scat and then being able to determine the direction you know like where he's bedded and he's traveling here um and then how to come in the area how to exit out the area how to play the wind like you want it to be um you know and then that's when all the factors kind of can't
0: but how how far off the food sources do you feel like you need to be i mean you are you setting up in the tree that's dropping the acorns or is i guess it's all dependent on where the trail's coming far, from and
1: uh, yeah how far away is the bedding yeah you know what i mean like I i've feel seen like, deer and i've got multiple spots where deer you know are traveling over a mile away to get to food sources
0: yeah i feel like a lot of people including me see acorns or whatever and you're like oh i'm putting a stand in this tree and it's like that's probably and, and not always the best. Sometimes
1: case. that can work out, but you got to have the factors like the bedding has got to be relatively close and the bucks has got to be living in that bedding relatively close. The pressure had to have been low in the area to make it feel comfortable to be there. Like, you know I mean? There's a lot of factors that have to go your way. And like I said, like a lot of, of the bedding areas I hunt, those deer have no issue getting up and traveling a mile. We might look at it and go like, wow, that's a mile away, but that's 20 minutes for a deer to get to. Like, that's not that far. So they have no issue, you know, doing that, you know what I mean, to get to where they're at. But, you, you know, the to, to answer that, I'm going to be wherever the daylight movement patterns are to that deer once I've located them and I've found them. Some deer don't travel very far from bedding uh, um, outside of their bedding before it gets dark. And there's other deer, you know, characteristic lies or personalities where, you know, they'll They'll travel, you know, several hundred yards in daylight. Uh, I mean, just, you know, depends. You know, every deer has a different characteristics or personality, or, or like, you know, they're we got some deer that are super, super weary. And then you got other deer that, like, man, I'm starving. I'm going to get my ass there and they don't waste no <laughs> time and they just, like, get moving. Like, you know what I mean? And they're just walking steady and then they're not as cautious, where you got other deer that, He might travel 20 minutes once he stands up out of his bed and and 20 minutes, you know what I mean, before he finally makes a decision to start moving. So you have to be closer to him than you would, you know, the the other deer's characteristics is is more, you know, he's more of a daylight walker. So like that has a lot to do with reading the characteristics of the deer that you're hunting.
0: Hey, everybody. Uh, I apologize for having to cut the uh, episode short. Uh, time got away from Jason and I and uh, it's 11 o'clock a little past 11 here and uh, he has obligations early in the morning I'm sure and I do as well so we're gonna get Jason back on here uh, hopefully in the next couple of weeks and we're gonna cover some more public land stuff I'd love to uh, hear you guys' feedback on uh, what Jason was talking about and uh, Feel free to shoot me a message if you want to uh, hear something specific from Jason. Uh, we can put it in there and uh, dive deeper into it. And uh, if you're having some trouble finding sign or you want to dig deeper into maybe pressure on public lands, I don't know. Shoot me a message. Let's, let's talk about it. Let's get it on here and uh, let's see if we can help you out. Uh, thank you guys for listening and uh, we'll see you on the next show.